Welcome to From Caving In to Crushing It, the podcast for those who find themselves immersed in adversity and choose to write their story instead of having others write it for them. I'm Drew Duraney, and I'm your host. Hi, Ivy. So good to see you. So great to see you too, Drew. So we have Anka Herman to thank for the introduction. So thank you, Anka. And uh, I'm so glad Anka did introduce us. And the one call we had a few weeks ago was so enlightening. Uh, for me, the type of human being you are, uh, resilience is one word I'd use for you, but I'd probably use that word four times <laughs> uh, for what you've gone through um, and who you've become. And I bring people on this show who were taught that life is linear. And we know that was a lie. Uh, you know, we were told that if you do A, B, C, or D, E is going to happen. And every, every one of us have encountered something that got in the way of one of those letters and rerouted our life. And it's all about how we react to it. Right. And, and I know you did not retreat from all the stuff that got in your way. And I knew you turned into a stronger person because of it. If you could reach back as far as you desire and pinpoint one or two defining moments that had you stop and say, Ivy, there's a better way to live and I'm, I'm going that way. And that molded you into who you are now and what you're doing professionally and personally. Love to hear that. Okay. Well, you know, I must say this. I, I don't think I was actually raised as many people are to believe that there was a linear life, which was confusing to me because in one way the messaging was you know you go to college you get a career whatever and if I could begin at when that sort of blew up it was when I was a freshman in college this is really the first pivotal moment my dad had some major health heart issues. Mm -hmm. I was a freshman in the School of Fine Arts. Mm -hmm. Somehow I knew when I got in early decision to University of Pennsylvania, it wasn't for me. And I went for the hippie street vendors at Boston University, a much lower echelon of school, but it never mattered to me like the prestige. And there I was in the School of Fine Arts. I was most creative in my high school and I was creating and doing, and then dad got sick. And all of a sudden it hit me that, wait a minute, you know, being a fine artist might not get me through the next three years of college, not to mention the rest of my life. So I moved into the school of communications and mm -hmm. got into another creative sort of moment, um, in advertising, but okay. I shortly discovered you can't learn advertising from books. And mm -hmm. so I became this sort of rebel, you know, working three jobs to keep my tuition and keep myself in school and live in an apartment. And that was like really the first kind of what I call life quake. Okay. Where I had to face that this nice little privileged um, picket fence life was not going to be what I thought it was. Mm. And um, now I want you to fast forward okay. to graduating college and getting this fabulous advertising agency job and being like this, you know, graduated early, was like moving and shaking in the New York ad scene and got married to my childhood sweetheart because, 
you know, women in, you know, in a way were to be seen and not heard. And I was like operating in this very blue chip agency where there were no female executives. Mm. This is the early seventies, you know, this, um, you know, you were a secretary and I had like broken that ceiling and married, you know, I didn't want to be an old maid at the mm. ripe old age of 23 or four. So I married somebody I thought, you know, I knew that had issues, but I loved him and thought I could fix this. Yeah, right. And the second quake came a few years later when pregnant with our second child in a in a kind of crack smoking frenzy while I was at the first pediatrician visit, he he went to our home that I was not at because I was with the baby at the doctor and he emptied out all semblance of life as we knew it. Oh. I came home to greet the four-year-olds, our first child, my son's school bus. He proudly walked his sister up to the um, front door and we opened it and life, it, w- it was like a blank slate. It would oh be like taking you know, a beautiful five bedroom house and like whitewashing it in, in, in a few hours. So, oh my goodness. so there I was, I found out I was going to become homeless and a penniless and he was disappeared and I had a newborn and a four-year-old and I went to try to save the house. And that led to getting into the mortgage and real estate world. So now fast forward, um, I, I get in through a friend's husband. I work locally. I take the baby to work with me. I, I have a lot of flexibility. Uh, you know, I move into a small two-family house. My father has another health episode. Um, I'm really on my own and really like, I mean, talk about life quakes. This was a, a tsunami, okay? Wow. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, I'm looking at these two beautiful little munchkins thinking I I got, you know, I, I got to make this work. And so now fast forward, the guy I'm working for, you know, I've got this advertising marketing expertise and we're building and he dies of a brain tumor. Oh my but, gosh. Yes. Okay. Right. So another, you know, hurricane. And I find out he's decided to leave me the business and I oh, murdered wow with another company and to make a long, very long story short, um, that was not the right move. And it was right around the time that without realizing it, I met my second husband and he had custody of his two kids. And we merged our families over a four year period, moved in with one another. And I, with another employee of that company that I merged with, decided mm-hmm. we could go off on our own. I had a home now for, I was the mom of four kids at the ripe old age of 32. Wow. They ranged from two, six to nine and 11. You know, with six, we got egg roll. I loved my husband. He was in the music business. Right. We really, it, from all outward appearances, I was finally on the right track. Wow. Now, fast forward 20 years and the biggest tsunami, earthquake, whatever you want to call it, hits. Okay. We see my partner and I, I mean, we've had a turbulent 20 years, um, but we've had some success. 
We've spent a year anticipating that the market's going to crash in 2007 or 8. This is July of 2007. We're two weeks away from consummating a year's worth of due diligence with a large hedge fund where we're going to have unlimited sources of money as the market crashes to buy up all the undervalued and distressed real estate, which was our business model, refurbish it and refi or sell it off. And my kids are all the, the older ones. My bonus children are off in their young lives, starting their careers. And the younger ones are starting, uh, are finishing college and starting grad school. Mm-hmm. And we go to, we have a celebration party because the young ones are launching. Right. And I go to bed and at 5.30 in the morning, there's a knock on my door that changed the trajectory of my life forever. Okay. Behind that door, Drew, were 21 FBI agents at gunpoint. Oh my God. As they dragged me up the stairs and chained me to my toilet while they read me my rights and ransacked my bedroom, all I could think was that women are to be seen and not heard. They've made a mistake. Just stay quiet. It's going to be okay. They, they uh, you know, and as they brought me downstairs and stuffed me into a squad car through the bowels of New York, the two, what they call the tombs, and locked me in, in a cold marble holding cell. Jeez. It was a part of me that thought, oh my God, I just want to die. Like, what's going on? You know, fortunately, my son was smart enough to call an old high school friend of mine who had had some problems. And the next thing I knew, like you see in the movies, that little window opened and a voice said, I'm here to represent you. We're going to get you home um, tonight, hopefully. Um, Just hang in there. I had no idea what was going on. I didn't know why, how, what went wrong. All Mm. I knew was that my partner of 20 years had been abusive, had been rough and gruff. And I was living for this deal to close because from the outside, I looked like the epitome of success, the house, the kids, the the life, the style, you know, the style, but inside I was miserable. And I was like, I couldn't, there was always this thing, okay, just close the deal, send the kids, finish school, take your parents into old age, you're going to walk away with gazillions of dollars, and you'll be free. Okay, so if you have this, you could do that, and then you'll be. And you were going to be free of the partner you wanted to get rid of, because of the partner of, that's of you, the, you really needed this deal to go through, right? I needed this deal to go through. And I it wasn't just him. It was the dirty, underhanded the whole industry. City real yeah. estate industry. It was duplicitous and grimy and so far from who I am and what right. I value. Right. And the way that I got around it was fixing it. Like I'd speak in homeless shelters and be on the board of the real estate women of New York and Rebney. And I would like be the Ivy that I really was. Right, right. And I'd have to be in the the the... Yeah. The horror of it. I hated it. And I just kept seeing the finish line. And I was right there. Had the deal closed, I would have been worth over $300 million or something around there and sailed off with a management agreement six months later, 
for cents on the dollar, maybe I would have been worth 10 million. It would have been more than I ever dreamed possible. Right. It all, that day I lost everything that I worked for, all the money, my business, my reputation, but most importantly, I lost my place as the matriarch of my family of because course. they took my home, they put liens on everything, and I was left literally fighting for my life. Jeez. So now I want you to fast forward to 2009. I'm sentenced to five years in federal prison. My partner, who knew everything, was made in our wonderful, as I'll call, injustice system, the cooperator. He got a much, much less lesser sentence. And I'll never know how, what, whether that was a prosecutor, you know, pulling a notch in his belt, whether it was my partner throwing me under the bus, because unfortunately, the man for 20 years who said he was the brother from another mother and who I fell, and I totally own this, okay? Mm. It was like I fell into, out of my own lack of worth, self-esteem, conditioning, I fell into an abused woman syndrome. It's like wow. he'd scream, he'd yell, he'd threaten, and then he'd make it up with and leave a, a Birkin bag on my desk saying, I couldn't do it without you. It was like a constant fear of repercussion, but not being able to stand up for myself wow. and really own. And I'll tell you, while all this was going on, as if the following things were not enough, had uterine cancer, lost my second husband who was the love of my life to an accident who couldn't and handle any of himself or me anymore by the way we're friend, best friends to this day and we're mm -hmm. still co-parenting all these adult children but then my father died who oh, was geez. like the 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 best friend the love of my life and there i am with this guy saying he's the brother from another mother and this all happens, and I've never heard from him since. That was two thousand and nine. What did they? What did they like? What got you and him in trouble? Like, what? Did, why did they arrest you guys? That's a story for another day. But wow. we were convicted on conspiracy. Oh, jeez. Okay. Mail and wire fraud. Now, if you know anything about the criminal legal system, um, for which I've become a major advocate and have spoken out all over the world, from right. schools to the White House. Yeah. Um, conspiracy usually means that they don't really, they can't really figure out. They just know something's gone wrong and they have enough to convict. Okay. Oh, wow. So okay. Um, I have found out what was really wrong. There were signs along the way. There were things I knew. There were things I didn't. I own it. Okay. Yeah. I really own it, but not enough. Had they let that deal go through, Every investor would have gotten their money yeah. and they could have sued us civilly for things that should have happened that didn't. There were things. Okay. Yeah. But it to to upend this in the way that I've now experienced, not only for myself having lived it, but for thousands of others that I act as a consultant for right, and have right. coached, whatever, I can tell you this is broken. It's um, there, there, you know, 80% of the women I served with were mothers ripped from their kids, way less fortunate than me without, you know, support and privilege and education. And all I can say is there was a part of me 
that wished I could die. I didn't want to kill myself. Yeah. Because right. I would never do that to my kids. But you want to talk about hitting bottom? Sure. Like it was the lowest ebb, the most shame filled, embarrassed, like horrific, frightening moment of my life. Oh, God. And what I can say to you now is that while I was there, the first year was really tough. Okay. Remaining the matriarch of my family through right. letters, through limited resources, limited freedom, and limited movement was really hard. I was depressed. I was scared. But what started to happen was that there was nowhere to look outside to define success mm. or to believe I could fix or have any agency over. And the only place left was to look Inside, within. Within, right, right. And who I found is the Ivy that had been there all along. Mm -hmm. I just had forgotten about her. Oh, I just, I yeah. just had forgotten who that was. Yeah. And I started to find the riches, the creativity, the heart-led being, the genuine person. And just when that started to happen, I received a package mm -hmm. from my attorneys saying that I had lost my appeal, which was devastating because that yeah. meant I was going to have four more years. Right. In the right. And there was a packet of letters that they had requested from, they had asked me for a list of people that might attest to my character at some point yep. if needed. So they got a list from, you know, the most intimate, like my kids, my family, all the way like to my hairdresser and yeah. like anybody who had known me from childhood to then. And they sent me this packet. I never knew, they never told me that they requested these letters. And they sent me this packet with a note that said, in case you forget who you are, read these. And I could cry right now oh because my gosh, I, I'm in the midst of writing a book called The Handwritten Life, yeah. which is the only way that I could communicate with my children and they with me. And these letters are now in the fore all these years later. And I'm reading about the Ivy that all these people knew and loved that oh, I had forgotten about, okay? Unbelievable. So now fast forward, it's three years in, I break my ankle, that's a whole other story. I'm living in the whole, you know, groundhog day of, you know, counts and horrific or practically no medical attention. Um, horrible food, suffering strangers all around me, yet there was sort of a sacred sisterhood there because what I was noticing was past age or race or socioeconomic background, what had led us all, despite what separated us, what it looked like, right. the common denominator, and that was a lack of self-worth, esteem, yes. and agency. Absolutely. And so- the breaking of the leg forced me not to be in my construction job anymore. And oh. they gave me a job as a GED English teacher. Okay. Interesting. And I got a classroom and I walked in and there was 62 women there who didn't want to be getting their high school diploma. They were shamed. They were, you know, I can't do this. They were defeated before they began. And, you know, they had to like, 
what do you think you're going to teach me? Mm -hmm. And that began an exploration like nothing. I'm not an expert on your life, but I know that you are. And my job is to help you uncover what gets in the way or what got in the way when you were 13 and pregnant and kicked out of your house from getting the high school diploma that when you get out of here, you're going to need to start the life you dare to dream if you even know what that is. Absolutely. Now, I don't even know where that came out of my mouth, but wow. I to say it. And that began giving, adding to this curriculum right. the things that had brought me to find the riches in me. Journaling, yoga, meditation, right. you know, walking on the track, all these things. And I brought this and I created this part of the curriculum called Your Right to Heal. Oh, I love that. The GED curriculum. And I'm proud to tell you that 61 out of the 62 women graduated yes. with their high school diploma. The one that didn't was because she was released early before she could take the exams. And I, people thought, is she working for the feds? Like what happened to her? All of a sudden she's gone from, you know, weeping willow to like dancing around, like, wow. like as if she's, she's sparkling. Well, yeah. no. I wasn't working for the feds. I just had found my purpose. Of and my purpose yeah. was to take a life of experience and transmute it into a life of service. Oh my gosh. And I got the fateful letter from my sentencing judge that said that there had been some sort of civil suit and some forensic whatevers, and I was being released early. And so after wow. almost four years, homeless, penniless, destitute, surprised, mm. I had way more than most women did leaving a prison, right. but I had nowhere to live. Right. I had love of those four kids and my ex-husband and a whole host of friends. All those letters too. Nowhere, yeah. nowhere a, for me to live. No, right. So I had to go to a halfway house and that was a whole new layer of shame and degradation and isolation. And although I'd managed thousands of multifamily units, nobody yeah. rent me an apartment. And it, although I had a degree from Boston University and all these credentials and privilege, nobody no. would hire me and give me a job. I had wow. felt written on my forehead in neon Jeez. and then I got mugged. Day one, they what? send you out. They send you out in the Bronx, okay, where this halfway house was. They send you out to buy toothpaste and whatever. And I fortunately had kids who gave me a purse and clothing to to wear, you yeah. know, my sweats from prison, and to start my life. A hundred bucks to buy toothpaste and shampoo and essentials. And I found myself on the ground on Fordham Road with a dislocated shoulder, although I thought it had been ripped off my body. I didn't know it was just dislocated. Jeez. And people were stepping over me like ants. And all I could think was, as a real estate developer, you disenfranchise so many people and marginalize so many people while you were gentrifying neighborhoods in Brooklyn, in yeah. Harlem, in Bronx. And now you've become one of them. Oh my God. What are you going to do, Ivy? What about if you can't make it out here on day one, white, right. privileged, educated, 
what about your sis sacred sisters you left behind? Absolutely. And that was the day I knew I needed a credential other than felon. Yes. And I crawled back. Some man helped me up. The shoulder popped into place. I was scared to tell them what would ha what happened to me because they would have sent me back because right. I had no medical anything. I just decided I'm going to tough this out and I'm going to campaign to go back to school. And I went to every reentry program there was in New York asking right. for help, asking for scholarships and nobody could help me. They all said, you'll be fine. You know, mm. we have pancake mix. And it was like, really? Wow. I just told you I'm hungry. What? And I, I, I live in a halfway house. Where am I going to cook pancake mix? You know, and like I left all these places who were collecting people and taking risk and, and need assessments. And I went, Ivy, you don't only have to learn to advocate for yourself and figure out how to teach others how to advocate for themselves, but you've got to like advocate for how broken the system is. Oh, yes, absolutely. So, I, you know, started to get involved. We created the National Council of Formerly Incarcerated and Incarcerated Women. I started speaking in law schools around the country, hoping to influence future lawyers and prosecutors on the injustices and the indignities for women. One thing led to another. So I got out prematurely in November of 2013. By November of 2014, I had graduated a year's worth with a certification wow. as a certified professional coach. I was cleaning other people's houses, working in a furniture showroom, driving a cab, doing anything, anything I could, could do yeah. oh my goodness. To, to, to stay alive and to not be a burden on my children and right. spend whatever moments I had becoming the mom that they knew who was In, their right. all, single parent, you know, person. And that started to really gel. Um, my daughter moved out of the apartment I had put her in when okay. we took the house. Right. I moved into this little studio. I had a stick lamp, a blow up mattress wow. and our dog. And basically I started my life. Started and over, yeah. that was 2014. Right. By 2015, I had taken the program that I began to create in prison. I added coaching to it. Okay. And I got a grant and I took it to the one organization in New York City that works with women specifically called the Women's Prison Association. And for a year with a hundred women in two of their homeless shelters right. okay, that had come home from prison, I tried this on with them. I watched a hundred women find permanent housing, get jobs, kick oh baby bodies that were gosh. beating them to the curb. And then- with all that success, created speaking gigs with the International Coaching Federation and right. with the Women's Forum. And on the day anniversary where we were going to do our budgets for year two, yeah. they fired me. What? They kicked one um, of their own to the curb, knowing I was on probation, that that could mean me being sent back to prison and that nobody would believe me. And they kept the money. Hundreds of thousands oh, of dollars. No. And I had to call my probation officer, which is something you get a parking ticket. You've got to call it in and say, you've had a problem. Right. And went, Wolf Turk, be here at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning. And I thought the marshals were going to take me back. Like that's the level, despite how good my life was. Yeah. Okay? 
That's the level of post-traumatic stress I now, in looking back, realize that I had. Right. And I went to that meeting and he sat there, you know, like Superfly and said, so Wolf Turk, you got fired, huh? And I'm thinking, yeah. And he goes, well, today's your lucky day. We're cutting you loose. I went, you're sending me back? And he went, no, no, no. Didn't you hear me, Wolf Turk? We're cutting you loose. And I said, well, what does that mean, sir? And he said, it means that you don't realize, but many of the women that went to the homeless shelter at WPA came through probation first. They came out of federal prison. We've been following them and therefore following you. We see what you've done. We're cutting you loose. We want you to go and do it on your own. It's time. We're cutting all your financial restrictions. Go get yourself a place, find the women, and good luck. And we'll send you as many referrals as we can. And I sat there, Drew, frozen because I didn't know how I was going to pay my rent next week. with no I didn't know where, like, how I was going to get my intellectual property back. I didn't know how I was going to advertise to get the women to know about me. I was freaked out. And two days later, I had the first speech my first public appearance ever yeah not about like how broken prison was you know in a law school but like to an audience called the women's forum okay Uh which was women at the top of their careers wow a lot of money to belong to this elite thing and the name of the talk was this could have been you oh i love that and from the, like from the arts to the judiciary, there was a waiting list. There were a hundred women signed up for this sunken Park Avenue living room experience with me as this, the the guest speaker with a moderator. And I called the moderator and I said, "I've been fired. I, I, I can't do this." And she went, "Ivy, there's a waiting list wow. of, of like fifty women. We already have a hundred confirmed." The show must go on. And so, Drew, this was a defining moment, another one. I mean, I know I've given you way more than the two. This is great. Wow, you got so many of them. But, you know, these are all like this, like, and there's so many little ones in between, but this was a biggie, okay? I was practically puking in the bathroom before I had to sit in the chair in front of this, like, well-heeled audience and she asked a lot of great questions and I made it through. I, I kind of like grew my confidence because the passion was yeah. there. Okay. The one thing that we had agreed was she would not say I'd been fired and we just sort of gloss over what I was doing. Okay. okay. Yeah. We get to the end and, you know, there were a few women in the audience that weren't so nice. Like, so how'd you keep that red hair in prison? Mm. And by now I was feeling my thing. And I said, well, I stole beats from the mess hall and I bought Jolly Ranchers on the commissary and I melted them down for the red dye five. And, <laughs> you know, and of course they got the message because yeah. you can buy dye if you have money, which many right. women don't. Right. And I did because my kids hocked their lives to yeah. make sure I had toothpaste and hair dye right. so I didn't lose my dignity. I mean, that's a whole other conversation. Right. Yeah. But bottom line, I found a way to dye my own hair in the slop sink. So when they saw me, they weren't scared, which they were more than 
scared for other reasons to see me looking like Dorian Gray or any other woman there for that matter. Like, you know, the prison doesn't think about how they strip you of your dignity in every way. So it's the women that come together and support each other. Right, right. And so I was very glib at this point. And then there were a few intelligent questions. And the moderator said, okay, we've gone over an hour and we've got to let our gracious host here in this townhouse clean up and go to sleep. One more question. And this very austere sort of gray, short haired lady with like little pearl earrings and a pinstripe suit stands up and says, hello, Ivy, dear. My name is Judge Loretta Preska. And I went like this. I thought the marshals, again, no. were coming out of the closet. She was the chief justice right. of the Southern District of New York, wow. the boss yeah. of my sentencing judge. Oh, and I boy. had just revealed the ills of the system, my experience with the no medical and the- That's right. Fitness. And she's in the audience, yeah. And I'm thinking- Oh my God. And I literally fainted. Like, Oh no, you did. Okay. The next thing I know I'm, I'm being lifted and like the room is spinning. Yeah. I think they're like going to haul me off. This oh. squad car. Ivy, okay. my gosh. And it's judge Preska saying young lady, she got like her arms around me, like holding my shoulders. She says, young lady, I have three things to say to you. I commend your courage. I'm really interested in these common denominators and specific pathways that lead women different than men mm-hmm. to, to criminal legal involvement. Right. But more so, I want to help you. Wow. What you're doing is amazing. And I don't know how many, oh, sorry, that's my dog barking. I don't know how many of the um, women stood up. It was like a C- of women and saying, and I do too. And that night about 12 of them took me across the street and took me out for dinner and drew, I was liberated. That's awesome. I was liberated. Project liberation was born. I know we're running out of time, so I'm just going to give you the highlights. Mm -hmm. I was liberated. One woman became my lawyer and incorporated Project Liberation the next day. One gave me workshop space. One became my accountant. Another one, ex-FBI, became my first board member. You know, all these women, all these women came together to lift me up and say, you go, girl. We've got you. And I started Project Liberation with the curriculum that I Got away my intellectual property. It was called the Blackbird Project. It became Project Liberation. Date. So that was 20 February of 2016. Okay. To date, over 500 women have gone through that program. Zero have gone back to prison. I love it. Citivism rate of over 50% in the country. So that means they all go back. Right, right. None of none of the Project Liberation ladies have gone back. The relationships have been unbelievable. I've created community and I've built. So there are four buckets to Mm -hmm. me. There's my private practice where it shouldn't take a stint in federal prison for a woman or a man to find their worth. Right. Okay. so my private practice is resiliency coaching for people who 
are imprisoned or, as I like to say, stuck or in transition in a right. moment in their lives that has mm -hmm. nothing to do with the criminal legal system. Right. It's just their stuck in their life. Their careers, their right. health, their children, whatever right. it is. So right. that has really grown over time as That's I've wonderful. been out into the world. Right. Number two, which is as a public inter inspirational speaker, uh -huh. speaking of my trajectory and how sure. adversity has constantly become my greatest teacher, my greatest Absolutely. curriculum for growth. And then there's my project liberation work with marginalized women who mm -hmm. have been or have been affected by the criminal legal system. And now what I'm doing, being that post-COVID, my partners like, you know, the New York City Department of Health, everything shut down and funding became crazy. So I went on and did it for free and realized this is not sustainable. This is all connected. There are, there are people in the world that have never been to prison and people who have been, and these people all need the same work on building from the life they have to the life they maybe haven't yet dared to dream. Right. And so in the process of creating what I'm calling a liberated life, and for every person that invests in themselves, by being involved in this community, which will include masterminds and workshops and individual coaching, 15% mm -hmm. of whatever comes in from those investments to me as the facilitator, as the coach, is going to go to a woman who gets it for free. And uh -huh. instead of depending on conditions and money going to Ukraine or money going mm -hmm. to climate change or, you know, women right. are pretty low on the philanthropic right. ladder and ad formerly incarcerated <laughs> yep. below zero yeah so i'm just going to fund it myself and whatever mm -hmm. donors i've been fortunate to have will continue to add and i'll continue to speak and i will continue hopefully one day to take the women from and men from a liberated life and introduce them to the women and men of project liberation and let the twains meet because I they all will have way more that combines them and is similar than what separates them oh, and absolutely. so that's been you know that what an amazing story <laughs> oh my gosh well th thank you for you brought it all together and I, I thank you so much for for being so vulnerable and you are helping so many people um there's a ton of questions i want to ask you we uh, Can i just say one thing before yeah. you get to the questions yeah. i just want to say the thing that is most near and dear to me that has nothing to do with any of these life quakes, except right. the fact that they are the most important people to me, because coming home, as I've been developing this, it, November will be 10 years. This wow. is 2023. So 2013 to 2023. Right. The most important thing to me this whole time, even though it sounds like I've been uber industrious, I have. But the thing that's mattered to me most as a human being mm -hmm. was becoming a matriarch with a dining room table so I could once again regain my place. And it oh. makes me really emotional when I say oh, this. Yes. I could really like have my place, my yeah. solid place with those kids and their significant others. Oh. And in this time, I've become a grandmother of two. Congratulations. I can only say that the relationships that we have are the most potent, beautiful, heart-led, 
authentic relationships. And right now, two of them, one is moved to Mexico City and one is one part, the family with the grandkids has moved to Berlin temporarily. Oh, wow. uh -huh. And, you know, I've crafted a life where not only is what's important to me, but what's important to my clients and mm -hmm. the people I speak with yeah. is now possible because I can do what I do from anywhere in the world. And as long as I'm near and proximate to them, yes, I'm good. <laughs> and I still only have a tiny dining room table, but my hope is it'll be theirs. It doesn't necessarily have to be mine. It has to just be our hearts that stay together. And that for anybody who's suffering or, you know, in a really tough moment of, of their lives, you got to really figure out what's really important. Because when you give, it's like where your attention goes, your energy flows. And when yeah. my attention is really in the things that are important, no, I don't have a fancy car and I don't have a big house or a dining room table that fits more than six. Mm -hmm. Okay. But I'm rich. Yes. And anyone can be rich if they just get in touch and follow mm -hmm. what they really what what they value. So I just needed to say that. Because no, I thank you for doing that. And, you know, be grateful for and never underestimate your dining room table because there are people who don't have one. And so that's a very God, awesome man. message, Ivy. Two final questions, Ivy. I want to give you an opportunity to sit down with your younger self. You're sitting down with seven to 10 year old Ivy and you want to give her advice about life, what are you going to tell her? Don't fix everybody else at the expense of yourself because you're scared that if you don't, the bottom's going to fall out. Trust that you matter. I love that. All right, switching hats. Now you have an opportunity to sit with young Ivy, the young businesswoman entrepreneur. Do you want to give her advice on business? What are you going to tell her? Don't chase people, places, and things because you think you should or have to. Figure out what you want to and design your life, that of those near and dear to you and that for your business and your constituencies based on a design that first works for you and then design the experience from that place for them. Wow, oh, I love that. I love that. Well, Ivy... Thank you. And the audience certainly uh, captured the essence of Ivy Wolf Turk. And audience, I want you to know what Ivy is granting for anyone who wants to take the opportunity to have a free discovery call with Ivy to help you turn an adversity uh, and your experience into a great curriculum for growth like Ivy did. Um, anybody who, who reaches out to Ivy, Ivy, what, where do you want them to reach you? Email uh, or you want to do me, They can reach me at Ivy Wolf Turk at gmail.com. I V Y W O O L F T U R K at gmail.com. Great. So anybody who wants to email Ivy and say, you heard this, heard on this episode, uh, she will grant you a free discovery call. You could discuss with her your adversities and that you want to experience the same kind of turnaround that she has and turn your life into a great curriculum for growth. Please do so. Ivy, thank you so much for being here. I'm grateful you're in my life and that we're friends. And this will certainly be the second of many times that we talk to each other.
<laughs> Drew, thank you so much. It's really, it, it's been really beautiful to be here and to feel the alignment, not only in what I'm doing, but what you're doing. So thank you. Ah, you're welcome. Thank you so much, Ivy. Take, take care of yourself, everybody. Be well. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe and give us a review to help others find it. If you find yourself immersed in adversity and would like to find support from other men in times of struggle, please become a member of my Men Supporting Men Collaboration Tribe by emailing me at drew at profitcompassion.com, expressing your interest, and I'll get in touch with you. Speak to you soon.